Tommy Trot's Visit to Santa Claus by Thomas Nelson Page Chapter 3 This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Tommy was just thinking how he would love to carry his mother a polar bearskin for his father, and his father a sealskin coat for his mother, when Santa Claus came up behind him and tweaked his ear. Ah, he said, so you want something, something you can't get. Not for myself, said Tommy shamefacedly. So, said Santa Claus, with a look much like Tommy's father when he was pleased. I know that. They don't have them exactly about here. The teddy bears drove them out. You have to go away off to find them. He waved his hand to show how far off it was. I should like to hunt them, if only I had a gun, said Tommy. And one for Johnny, too, he added quickly. Santa Claus winked again. Well, he said slowly, just as Tommy's father always did when Tommy asked for something he was considering. Well, I'll think about it. He walked up and touched a spring, and the glass door flew open. Try these guns, he said, and Tommy tipped up and took one out. It, however, seemed a little light to shoot polar bears with, and he put it back and took another. That, however, was rather heavy. Try this, said Santa Claus, handing him one, and it was the very thing. Load right, aim right, and shoot right, said he, and you'll get your prize every time. And above all, stand your ground. Now, if I only had some dogs, thought Tommy, looking around at a case full of all sorts of animals, ponies and cows and dogs and cats, some big, some little, some middle-sized. I wish those were real dogs. Where's Sate? asked Santa Claus. Sate can't pull a sled, said Tommy. He's too little. Besides, he ain't an Eskimo dog. I mean, he isn't, he corrected quickly, seeing Santa Claus look at him. But he's awful bad after cats. Just then, to his horror, he saw Sate in the showcase with his eye on a big white cat. He could hardly keep from crying out, but he called to him very quietly. Come here, come here, Sate. Don't you hear me, sir? Come here. He was just about to go and seize him up when Santa Claus said, He's all right. He's just getting acquainted. My, how much he talks like Peek, thought Tommy. I wonder if he's his uncle. Just then, Sate began to nose among some of the little brownish-gray dogs, and so Tommy called, Here, come here, come along! And out walked not only Sate, but six other dogs, and stood in a line just as though they were hitched to a sled, the six finest Eskimo dogs Tommy had ever seen. Aren't they beauties, said Santa Claus. I never saw a finer lot big-boned, broad-backed, husky fellows. They'll scale an ice mountain like my reindeer, and if they ever get in sight of a bear, he made a gesture as much to say, let him look out. What are their names, said Tommy, who always wanted to know everyone's name. Buster and Muster and Fluster, and Joe and Rob and Mac. Ain't one of them named Towser? asked Tommy. I thought one was always named Towser. No, that's a book name, said Santa Claus, so scornfully that Tommy was sorry he had asked him, especially as he had added, isn't, not ain't. 
But they ain't any harness, said Tommy, using the word Peek always used. I mean, hisn't any. No, I mean, haven't any harness. I wish I had some harnesses for him. Pooh, wishing doesn't do anything by itself, said Santa Claus. Oh, I tell you, I've a lot of string that came off some Christmas things my mother got for some poor people. I put it in my pocket to give it to Johnny to mend his goat harness with, and I never thought of it when I saw him last night. So, said Santa Claus, that's better. Let's see it. Tommy felt in his pocket, and at first he could not find it. I've lost it, he said sorrowfully. Try again, said Santa Claus. Tommy felt again in a careless sort of way. No, I've lost it, he said. It must have dropped out. You're always losing something, said Santa Claus. Now Johnny would have used that. You were sure you had it? Tommy nodded. Sure, I put it right in this pocket. Then you've got it now. Feel in your other pockets. I felt there two times, said Tommy. Then feel again, said Santa Claus. And Tommy felt again, and sure enough, there it was. He pulled it out, and as it came out, it turned to a harness. Six sets of wonderful dog harness, made of curious leather thongs, and on every breast strap was the name of the dog. As Tommy made a dive for it and began to put the harness on the dogs, Santa Claus said, String on bundles bought for others sometimes comes in quite handy. Even then Tommy did not know how to put the harness on the dogs. As fast as he got it on one, Sate would begin to play with him, and he'd get all tangled up in it. Tommy could have cried with shame, but he remembered what his father had told him about trying instead of crying. So he kept on, and first thing he knew they were all harnessed. Just then he heard a noise behind him, and there was Johnny with another team of dogs just like his, hitched to his box sled, on which they had come. And on it a great pile of things tied, and in his hand a list of what he had. Food of all kinds and little cans, bread and butter, and even cake, like he had given away. Dried beef, pemmican, coffee and tea, all put up in little cases, cooking utensils, a frying pan and a coffee pot and a few other things, tin cups and so forth, knives and everything that he had read that boys had when they went camping, matches and a flintstone and a box with tinder, in case the matches gave out or got wet, hatchets and saws and tools to make ice houses or to mend their sleds with. In fact, everything that Tommy's father had ever told him men used when they went into the woods. And on top of it all, in cases was the ammunition they would need. Now, if we had a tent, said Johnny, but Santa Claus said, you don't need tents up here. I know, said Tommy, you sleep in bags made of skin or in houses made of snow. Santa Claus gave Johnny a wink. That boy is improving, he said. He knows some things. And with that, he took out of the case and gave both Tommy and Johnny big heavy coats of whitish fur and two bags made of skin. And now, he said, you will have to be off if you want to get back here before I leave, for though the night is very long, I must be getting away soon. And all of a sudden the door opened, and there was the North Star straight ahead, and at a whistle from Santa, away went the dogs, one sled right after the other, and sate galloping along for life and barking with joy alongside. The last thing Tommy heard Santa Claus say 
was load right, aim right, and shoot right, and stand your ground. In a short time, they were out of the light of the buildings and on a great treeless waste of snow and ice, much rougher than anything Tommy had ever seen, where it was almost dark and the ice seemed to turn up on edge. They had to work their way along slowly between jagged ice peaks, and sometimes they came to places which it seemed they could never get over. But by dint of pushing and hauling and pulling, they always got over in the end. The first meal they took was only a bite, because they did not want to waste time, and they were soon on their sleds again, dashing along, and Tommy was glad when, after some hours of hard work, Johnny said he thought they had better turn in, as in a few hours they ought to be where Santa Claus had told them they could find polar bears, and they ought to be fresh when they struck their tracks. They set to work, unhitched the dogs, untied the packs, and got out their camp outfit and having dug a great hole in the snow behind an ice peak where the wind did not blow so hard, and having gathered some dry wood, which seemed to have been caught in the ice as if on purpose for them, they lit a fire. And getting out their frying pan, they stuck two chops on sticks and toasted them, and had the best supper Tommy had ever eaten. The bones they gave to the dogs. Johnny suggested tying up the dogs, but Tommy was so sleepy he said, Oh no, they won't go away. Besides, suppose a bear should come while we were asleep. They took their guns so as to be ready in case a polar bear should come nosing around, and each one crawled into his bag and was soon fast asleep, Sate having crawled into Tommy's bag with him and snuggled up close to keep him warm. It seemed to Tommy only a minute before he heard Johnny calling, and he called out to find him looking around in dismay. Every dog had disappeared except Sate. We are lost, said Johnny. We must try to get back or we shall freeze to death. He climbed up on top of an ice peak and looked around in every direction, but not a dog was in sight. We must hurry up, he said, and go back after them. Why didn't we tie them up last night? We must take something to eat with us. So they set to work and got out of the bag all they could carry, and with their guns and ammunition were about to start back. "'We must hide the rest of the things in a cache,' said Tommy, "'so that if we ever come back we may find them.' "'What's a cache?' said Johnny. Tommy was proud that he knew something Johnny did not know. He explained that a cache was a hiding place. So they put the things back in the bag and covered them up with snow, and Tommy, taking up his gun and pack, gave a whistle to Sate, who was nosing around. Suddenly the snow around them began to move, and out from under the snow appeared first the head of one dog and then another, until every one, Buster and Muster and Fluster and the rest, had come up and stood shaking himself to get the snow out of his coat. Then Tommy remembered that his father had told him that that was the way the Eskimo dogs often kept themselves warm when they slept, by boring down deep in the snow. Never were two boys more delighted. In a jiffy they had uncovered the sled, eaten breakfast, fed the dogs, and hitched them up again, and were once more on their way. They had not gone far, though it seemed to Tommy a long, long way, when the ice in the distance seemed to Tommy to turn to a great mountain-like icebergs. "'That's where they are,' said Tommy. "'They're always on icebergs in the pictures.' 
Feeling sure that they must be near them, they tied their dogs to the biggest blocks of ice they could find, and even tied Sate, and taking each his gun and a bag of extra ammunition, they started forward on foot. As Tommy's ammunition was very heavy, he was glad when Johnny offered to carry it for him. Even so, they had not gone very far, though it seemed far enough to Tommy, when he proposed turning back and getting something to eat. As they turned, they lost the North Star, and when they looked for it again, they could not tell which it was. Johnny thought it was one, Tommy was sure it was another. So they tried first one and then the other, and finally gave themselves up as lost. They went supperless to bed that night, or rather that time, and Tommy never wished himself in bed at home so much, or said his prayers harder, or prayed for the poor more earnestly. They were soon up again, and were working along through the ice peaks, growing hungrier and hungrier, when going over a rise of ice, they saw not far off a little black dot on the snow, which they thought might be a bear or a seal. With gun in hand, they crept along slowly and watchfully, and soon they got close enough to see that there was a little man, an Eskimo, armed with a spear and bow and arrows, and with four or five dogs and a rough little sled, something like Johnny's sled, but with runners made of frozen salmon. At first he appeared rather afraid of them, but they soon made signs to him that they were friends and were lost and very hungry. With a grin he showed his white teeth, he pointed to his runners, and borrowing Tommy's knife, he clipped a piece off of them for each of them and handed it back with the knife. Tommy knew that he ought not to eat with his knife, but he was so hungry that he thought it would be overlooked. Having breakfast on Frozen Runner, they were fortunate enough to make the Eskimo understand that they wanted to find a polar bear. He made signs to them to follow him, and he would guide them where they would find one. "'Can you shoot?' he asked, making a sign with his bow and arrow. "'Can we shoot?' laughed Tommy and Johnny. "'Watch us! See that big green piece of ice there?' They pointed at an ice peak nearby. "'Well, watch us!' And first Johnny, then Tommy, blazed away at it, and the way the icicles came clattering down satisfied them. They wished all that trip that the ice peak had been a bear.' So they followed him, and a great guide he was. He showed them how to avoid the rough places in the ice fields, and in fact seemed quite as much at home in that waste of ice and snow as Johnny was back in town. He always kept near the coast, he said, as he could find both bear and seal there. They had reached a very rough place when, as they were going along, he stopped suddenly and pointed far off across the ice. Neither Tommy nor Johnny could see anything except ice and snow, try as they might. But they understood from his excitement that somewhere in the distance was a seal, or possibly even a polar bear, and gun in hand, with beating hearts, they followed him as he stole carefully through the ice peaks, working his way along, and every now and then cautioning them to stop so as not to be seen. So they crept along until they reached the foot of a high ridge of ice, piled up below a long ledge of black rock, which seemed to rise out of the frozen sea. Up this they worked their way, stooping low, 
the guide in front clutching his bow and arrow, Johnny next clutching his gun, and Tommy behind clutching his, each treading in the other's tracks. Suddenly, as he stopped near the top, the guide dropped flat on the snow. Johnny followed his example, and Tommy did the same. They knew that they must be close to the bear, and they held their breath. For the guide, having examined his bow and arrows carefully, began to wiggle along in his stomach. Johnny and Tommy wiggled along behind him, clutching their guns. Just at the top of the ledge, the guide quietly slipped an arrow out of his quiver and held it in his hand, as he slowly raised his head and peeped over. Johnny and Tommy, guns in hand, crept up beside him to peep also. At that instant, however, before Tommy could see anything, the guide sprang to his feet. Whizz by Tommy's ear went an arrow at a great white object towering above them at the entrance of what seemed to be a sort of cave, and two more arrows followed it, whizzing by his ears so quickly that they were all three sticking in deep before Tommy took in that the object was a great white polar bear, with his head turned from them in the act of going in the cave. As the arrows struck him, he twisted himself and bit savagely at him, breaking off all but one, which was lodged back in his shoulder. As he reared up on his hind legs and tried to get at this arrow, he seemed to Tommy as high as the great wardrobe at home. Tommy, however, had no time to do much thinking, for in twisting around the bear caught sight of them. As he turned towards them, the guide with a yell that sounded like, Look out! dodged behind. But both Tommy and Johnny threw up their guns and pulled the trigger. What was their horror to find that they both had forgotten to load their guns after showing the guide how they could shoot? The next second, with jaws wide open, the bear made a dash for them. Tommy's heart leapt into his throat. He glanced around to see if he could run and climb a tree, for he knew that grizzlies could not climb, and he hoped that polar bears could not climb either, while Tommy prided himself on climbing and that he had climbed the apple tree in the pasture at home. But there was not a tree or a shrub in sight, and all he saw was the little guide running for life and disappearing behind an ice peak. "'Run, Johnny!' cried Tommy. "'Run, Tommy!' cried Johnny at the same moment. But they had no time to run, for the next second the bear was upon them, his eyes glaring, his great white teeth gleaming, his huge jaws wide open, from which came a growl that shook the ice under their feet. As the bear sprang for them, Johnny was more directly in his way, but happily his foot slipped from under him and he fell flat on his back just as the bear lit, or he would have been crushed instantly. Even as it was, he was stunned and lay quite still under the bear, for which the moment seemed to be dazed. Either he could not tell what had become of Johnny, or else he could not make up his mind whether to eat Johnny up at once, or leave him and catch Tommy first, and eat them both together. He seemed to decide on the latter, for standing up he fixed his eyes on Tommy and took a step across Johnny's prostate body, with his mouth open wider than before, his eyes glaring more fiercely and with a roar and a growl that made the ice peaks shed a shower of icicles. Then it was that Tommy seemed to have become a different boy. In fact, 
No sooner had Johnny gone down than Tommy forgot all about himself and his own safety, and thought only of Johnny and how he could save him. And oh, how sorry he was that he had let Johnny carry all the ammunition, even though it was heavy, for his gun was empty and Johnny had every cartridge. Tommy was never so scared in all his life. He tried to cry out, but his throat was parched, so he began to say his prayers. And remembering what Santa Claus had said about boys who asked only for themselves, he tried to pray for Johnny. At this moment happened what appeared almost a miracle. By Tommy dashed a little hairy ball and flew at the bear like a tiger. And there was Sate, a part of his rope still around his neck, clinging to the bear for life. The bear deliberately stopped and looked around as if he was too surprised to move, but Sate's teeth were in him, and then the efforts of the bear to catch him were really funny. He snapped and he snarled and he snarled and snapped, but Sate was artful enough to dodge him, and the bear's huge paws simply beat the air and knocked up the snow. Do what he might, he could not touch Sate. Finally, the bear did what bears always do when bees settle on them when they're robbing their hives. He began to roll over and over, and the more he rolled, the more he tied himself up in the rope around Sate. As he rolled away from Johnny, Tommy dashed forward and picked up Johnny's gun, coolly loading it, loading it right, too, and springing forward, raised the gun to his shoulder. The bear, however, rolled so rapidly that Tommy was afraid he might shoot Sate, and before he could fire, the bear, with Sate still clinging to him, rolled inside the mouth of the cave. Tommy was in despair. At this moment, however, he heard a sound, and there was Johnny getting on his feet. He had never been so glad to see anyone. "'Where's the bear?' asked Johnny, looking around, still a little dazed. Tommy pointed to the cave. "'In there, with Sate tied to him. "'We must save him,' said Johnny. "'Carefully dividing the ammunition now, "'both boys loaded their guns, "'and hurrying down the icy slope, "'carefully approached the mouth of the cave, "'guns in hand, in case the bear should appear. "'Inside it was so dark that they could at first see nothing, "'but they could hear the sound of the struggle "'going on between Sate and the bear.' Suddenly Sate changed his note and gave a little cry as of pain. At the sound of his distress, Tommy forgot himself. "'Follow me!' he cried. "'He's choking!' And not waiting even to look behind to see whether Johnny was with him, he dashed forward into the cave, gun in hand, thinking only to save Sate. Stumbling and slipping, he kept on, and turning a corner right there in front of him were the two eyes of the bear— glaring in the darkness like coals of fire. Pushing boldly up and aiming straight between the two eyes, Tommy pulled the trigger. With a growl which mingled with the sound of the gun, the bear made a spring for him and fell right at his feet, rolled up in a great ball. Happily for Sate, he lit just on top of the ball. Tommy whipped out his knife and cut the cord from around Sate's throat and had him in his arms when Johnny came up. The next thing was to skin the bear, and this the boys expected to find as hard work as ever even Johnny had done. But fortunately, the bear had been so surprised at Tommy's courage and skill in aiming that when the bullet hit him, 
he had almost jumped out of his skin. So after they worked a little while, the skin came off quite easily. What surprised Johnny was that it was all tanned. But Tommy had always rather thought that bears wore their skin tanned on the inside, and lined, too. The next thing was to have a dinner of bear meat, for as Tommy well remembered, all bear hunters ate bear steak. They were about to go down to the shore to hunt along for driftwood, when their eyes becoming accustomed to the darkness, they found a pile of wood in the corner of the cave, which satisfied them that at some time in the past this cave had been used by robbers or pirates, who probably had been driven away by this great bear, or possibly might even have been eaten up by him. At first they had some little difficulty in making a fire, as their matches, warranted waterproof, had all got damp when Tommy fell into the water, an incident I forgot to mention. But after trying and trying, the tinder caught fire from the flint, and they quickly had a fine fire crackling in a corner of the cave. And here they cooked bear steak, and had the finest dinner they had had since they came into the Arctic regions. They were just thinking of going after the dogs and the sleds, when up came the dogs dragging the sleds behind them, and without a word pitched in to make a hearty meal of bear meat themselves. It seems as if they had got a whiff of the fresh steak, and pulled the sleds loose from the ice points to which they were fastened. They were not, however, allowed to eat in any peace until they had all recognized that Sate was the hero of this bear fight, for he gave himself as many airs as though he had not only got the bear, but had shot and skinned it. It was at this moment that the Eskimo guide came back, jabbering with delight, and with his white teeth shining, just as if he had been as brave as Sate. At first, Tommy and Johnny were inclined to be very cold to him, and pointed their fingers at him as a coward. But when he said he had only one arrow left, and had wanted that to get a sealskin coat for Tommy's mother, and as he had the sealskin coat, they could not contradict him, but graciously gave him, in exchange for the coat, the bear meat which the dogs had not eaten. Having packed everything on the sled carefully, with the sealskin coat on top of the pack, and the bear's fur on top of that, and having bid their Eskimo friend goodbye, they turned their backs on the North Pole and struck out for home. They had hardly started, however, when the sound of sleigh bells reached them, coming from far over the snow, and before they could tell where it was, who should appear sailing along over the ice peaks but Santa Claus himself, in his own sleigh, all packed with Christmas things, his eight reindeer shining in the moonlight, and his bells jingling merrily. Such a shout he gave when he found that they had actually got the bear, and had the robe to show for it. It did them good, and both Tommy and Johnny vied with each other in telling what the other had done. Santa Claus was so pleased that he made them both get in his sleigh to tell him about it. He let Sate get in, too, and snuggled down right at their feet. Johnny's box sled he hitched on behind. The dogs were turned loose. At first Tommy feared they might get lost, but Santa Claus said they would soon find their way home. In fact, he said with a wink, you have not been so far away as you think. Now tell me all about it, he said. So Tommy began to tell him, 
beginning at the very beginning when Johnny took him on his sled. But he had only got as far as the sofa when he fell asleep, and he never knew how he got back home. When he waked up, he was in bed. He could never recall exactly what happened. Afterward, he recalled Santa Claus saying to him, "'You must show me where Johnny lives, for I'm afraid I forgot him last Christmas.' Then he remembered that once he heard Santa Claus calling to him in a whisper, Tommy Trot, Tommy Trot, and though he was very sleepy, he raised himself up to find Santa Claus standing up in the sled in Johnny's backyard, with Johnny fast asleep in his arms, and that Santa Claus said to him, I want to put Johnny in bed without waking him up, and I want you to follow me and put these things which I have piled up here on the sled you made for him in his stocking by the fire. He remembered that at a whistle to the deer they sprang with a bound to the roof, the sled sailing behind them. But how he got down he never could recall, and he never knew how he got back home. When he waked up next morning, there was the polar bearskin which he and Johnny had brought back with them, not to mention the sealskin coat. And though Johnny, when next he saw him, was too much excited at first by his new sled, and the fine fresh cow which his mother had found in her cowhouse that morning to talk about anything else. Yet when he and his mother came over after breakfast to see Tommy's father and thank him for something, they said that Santa Claus had paid them a visit such as he had never paid before, and they brought with them Johnny's goats, which they insisted on giving Tommy as a Christmas present. So Tommy Trot knew that Santa Claus had got his letter. End of Tommy Trot's Visit to Santa Claus by Thomas Nelson Page Recording by Tom Hirsch